and I want to welcome you to Crohn's for the holidays and our lovely crackpot holiday home representing so many religions in one little set. <laughs> wonderful. So we decided to create this show because we felt that there needed to be a holiday entertainment for the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, there's the Christmas carols, and there's the Nutcrackers, and there's the Velveteen Rabbits, and there's the Messiahs. But what is there for the weirdos, and the blasphemers, and the queers, and the dykes, and the political radicals? I mean, at Grandpa Crohn's Incorporated, we work <laughs> about the holiday welfare of the blasphemers and the doctors. <laughs> so, thank you. I'm glad that you appreciate that. So we've put together this entertainment for your enjoyment this season. And this is our very first run in San Francisco, so we're really excited about it. We've performed here, but we've never had a run. Contrary to what I played in the last scene, I am, in fact, Jewish. Right. So, <laughs> really? Yeah. I hope I was believable as a non-Jew. So, of course, this whole season is different for Jews. One thing is we are not running around in a frenzy trying to prove our love to everyone by buying them expensive gifts. And I always really enjoyed not being a part of that. And another thing I enjoyed was the family Hanukkah party, and especially the song, the lyrics of which were written especially for the children in my family by my wonderful Auntie Hannah. So I want to sing that song for you right now, Moisha the Green-Nosed Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Moisha the Green-Nosed Harry had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glowed. Like a menorah. All of Mother Herring used to laugh to call him names. Like Doom Cough. They never Join in any herring games. Like Dredo. Everyone's smoggy Hanukkah. Neptune came to say, Moisha, with your nose so green, won't you guide my submarine? And all the herring loved him. And they shouted out with gish. What's gish? You know, I think my Auntie Hannah made that word up to rhyme with the next line. <laughs> Moisha the green nose herring, you'll become a This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is sexploration. Explore. Play. This is sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. So this is intermission at 
Crohn's for the Holidays. It's a production of a couple of crackpot Crohn's, and it's directed by Joan Mankin, starring Carolyn Myers and Terry Baum. Sketch comedy, basically. Improv. They actually did this gorgeous Mother Mary skit comparing Russia in 1962 and the United States in 1962. And you thought, oh, well, you know, religion is illegal in Russia in 1962. And oh, isn't that scary? And people are having to pray to the Mother Mary in secret. And then you're like, you get this great story about what really happened with the birth of the baby Jesus. And it has all these gorgeous feminist undertones. We'll talk about that later with um, Carolyn Myers and Terry Bob. Um, so we'll talk to them about the Mother Mary giving the advice to the 15-year-old Russian girl who got knocked up. It's really interesting. Mother Mary, all compassion. <laughs> and then we got to see Pussy Riot, you know, the, ba uh, the band. They were doing a Putin protest in Moscow in the cathedral, and they played the YouTube video, which, by the way, you should totally watch. It's great. It talks about, like, Mother Mary, please become a feminist. Please, you know, push Putin out. Putin has been extending terms as president and prime minister in Russia for a really long time. And he basically, if you disagree with him, he'll just put you in prison. So Pussy Riot is just one of many people imprisoned by Putin. And I think some of the band actually did get asylum here in the United States, but not all of them. So you might want to look into that. Thanks for joining us. This is Exploration with Monica. On my last day home for Christmas, my mother said to me, Your life is a disaster. Are you still on food stamps? Do I smell marijuana? Esther has three kids now. Susan's getting married. What's this in your suitcase? Still no boyfriend. Visit your Aunt Ruby. You should get a job. You put on some weight. You have no good clothes to wear. On my 12th day home for Christmas, I left. I couldn't take it anymore. Legato. You have no It's a cold December day, and I'm standing outside Terry's house. Did you know she actually ran for mayor in 2011? And I can't wait to talk to her about all the deliciously seditious and festive stuff in Crohn's for the Holidays. Not only was it about taking your sweetie pie to Hanukkah, when you don't know if the people in your life are going to accept your sweetie pie for who they really are. We'll talk about Bubby and her butch in just a minute. And Moisha, the green-nosed herring, the 12 days of family insults. Do you know? Because if you're queer, your parents don't always accept you the way that you are, and sometimes they say so <laughs> at dinner. So that can be a little funny, which is why Carolyn, her holiday poem, most of the time people were talking about what's an emotion that you associated with the holidays. And no one was saying festive and joyful. Everyone was like anxious and frustrated and stressed. And I mentioned the Virgin Mary in intermission and how the Virgin Mary told her own story about how she got pregnant and 
the story of the houses of David and the baby Jesus and how all that unfolded with Gabriel and Michael, who weren't really angels. So we'll also talk about Pussy Riot, and I've got the latest news going on with them. We'll talk about goddess deconstructions. Carolyn did this thing with Teresa's thesaurus that was really cute. And I'll play a little clip of Bubby and her butch. Bubby is the grandma, and she's taking her girlfriend, you know, her lover, to meet her family for the first time for Hanukkah. And her family is Orthodox, so she's trying to get her to them up a little bit by wearing these ridiculously dangly earrings. It's not really going well because her girlfriend is super butch. And so dangly earrings isn't really who she is. Sarah is like a daughter to me and she loves Hanukkah. She she starts cooking two days ahead. Her mom because I wanted you to taste them and, and she makes her own applesauce and now oh no. Oh, I just want, oh, I just want everybody to love everybody. Oh, Granny. I'm so sorry. I just didn't understand how much this Hanukkah party meant to you. Oh, baby, you are right. After everything you have done to me, what's a little pair of earrings, huh? I'm going to put them on. Okay, Franny? Really, don't cry. It's okay. I'm going to put on these earrings. Yes, I am, because I love you, all right? Okay, Franny. So, here I am. How do I look? Oh, do I look good? Oh, of course you look good. Do I look <laughs> Whoa, oh, uh, mm. oh, you know, I think, um, I think I can get used to this. <laughs> So now we're at the kitchen table of Terry Baum and Carolyn's here. They're going to tell us about all the beautifully seditious ideas that went into Crohn's for the holidays because there's political ideas, there's social justice stuff going on here. I mean, you guys talk about a lot of stuff in two hours. Thank you. Well, we have actually, as the Crackpot Crohn's, worked hard on getting politics into our shows. It isn't so easy, and I think this is... <laughs> For the of, holidays. <laughs> yes, yeah. By far, this is the most successful. The ideas are there, but they're entertaining. They're part of what the characters are really, you know, deeply involved in. So our feminism is very important to us. That was Terry Baum speaking just now. And we just heard the two of them, Carolyn Myers and Terry Baum, playing Bubby and her butch. Now, Carolyn, you were playing Bubby. Can you tell us about that character and what was happening for her? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of freaked out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Terry wrote the scene, Bubby and her butch. I play Bubby, who is in her 60s and has been a straight woman and is having her first love, deep love with a woman, another woman. And so it's her daughter's, her granddaughter's Hanukkah party. They're getting ready to go, and she's very nervous about how they appear. She's already come out to her friends and to her granddaughter, and that's been very important for her, but now she's she's has a lot of conflict about wanting to still appear as the booby she's always been to this brood of people right. and not as this sexual being. Lesbian! <laughs> yes, as this lesbian. Right, and it's funny how we oftentimes do hide our sexual being from everyone, you know, but it's such a part of us. Yeah, and when you're older, 
there's this attitude in society that it's kind of disgusting yeah. for old people to even have sexual feelings. And yeah, so I feel just showing two old women on stage who are in lust is very subversive. Totally. That's really and talking about like the things that turn them on and like, oh, I can't wait till yeah. you wear that special thing. And, yeah, then, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and the bargaining that's going on. Right. <laughs> and even for us, I mean, we've been working together as the Crackpot Crones, you know, since 2008. And we've done a lot of scenes with lesbians, but we've always played people that were much younger than us, either, sure, either because yeah. we were working with um, material from long ago or when we did play... Well, I guess, no, Hanukkah Butch, they were younger, too. Yeah, so we've yeah. always played women who were younger than us. And so this is the first time we're playing lesbians of our own age and a couple, a couple that is having sex and is involved and with each other, right, exactly. not two people who are just meeting, right. not somebody who's struggling with coming out, not a scene with a mother and a daughter in New York. We went to the Fringe Festival, and we did a wonderful scene I played someone my own age, but I'm coming out to my daughter, and my lover is off stage. So it was a great scene, but it's not the couple themselves. It's still once removed. Yeah, so that's been very exciting. I think Carolyn in particular has been very conscious. Wait a minute. We are, have gotten stuck playing younger than ourselves, and there isn't material around. There are no scenes of lesbians over 60, you know, mm-hmm. in love, and, mm-hmm. and it's really important that we write these, we imagine it, we write it, and we perform it. So that's been very exciting, yeah. So, so there's really been a culmination in a lot of ways. Booby and her Butch is a culmination of what we've been working towards. Let's talk a little bit about the version Mary. <laughs> Version. Yeah. What's her version of the story? Yeah. <laughs> or the not so virgin. Yeah. <laughs> that's another title. Yeah, that's good. Well, we came from two different viewpoints to this subject. My desire was to tell the story of a girl who gets knocked up and needs to have a really good cover story in order basically not to get stoned to death. And, and that's the Virgin Mary not yeah. getting stoned to death, yeah, right? Because right. they would have killed her had she had a baby out of wedlock. That's right, right. exactly. And in fact, in the, right in the Bible, it, Joseph is unwilling to marry her until the angel Gabriel says, go right. ahead, it's okay, it's the Holy Spirit who you know impregnated <laughs> her and all right. that. In this story, Gabriel is the rich boy who knocked her up and he's acting a part in a, a little scene she's producing outside of Joseph's window to convince him that... Like it was a dream. Yeah, exactly. I had this desire to explore this sort of feisty girl in a jam, mm. fabricating this story that then becomes, you know, one of the major right. religions in the world. But Carolyn had a different story she wanted to tell. I'm interested in goddess theories, and I, I'm interested in reclaiming Mary... I came from a Christian background and left that a long time ago, but still have this yearning for Mary. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to talk about that. That was, mm-hmm. that was very interesting to me. But as I wrote, I wrote these scenes, and Terry helped a lot. And some of the, definitely it went back and forth some, so it was somewhat collectively created. 
But as I wrote it, and certainly as I've been acting it, I, along with many, many, many women, did have an abortion when I was extremely young. And even though, in a way, Irina, my character, who's talking to the Virgin Mary, was sort of put in there as a to begin with as somebody, so Mary would have someone to tell her story to. In fact, at one time, when I originally wrote this, it was a mo there was a period of time when it was a monologue, mm -hmm. and then we sort of created Arena. Right. But I now feel, I really am moved. I mean, I feel like it's, a, it's an example of something writers do a lot of the, I call it the, a dream making many things better. So it's mm -hmm. like what I wish had been true for me and for so many of us. And still to this day, I know because I taught at-risk students in high school for many, many years, so I know no matter how advanced we think we are, young girls still get pregnant and are terrified to tell their mothers and are cast out by their churches and have illegal abortions. But of course, compared to when I was young, an abortion was illegal. Right. So I went through feeling completely condemned by my church, cast out, and indeed did something that could have killed me. That's how it was. And it's been hard for me to even remember who she was, but it's certainly come back since right. I've been doing this part. And then we take it to the modern times, which we partially did because of Pussy Riot, because right. they did stage this scene in right, this, this church, Putin this Putin protest. And I no longer remember what came first, but we wanted to acknowledge them. One of the things we wanted to do in this show was acknowledge women who are working for peace and women that are protests. So there was Code Pink, Pussy Riot, there's the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Mm -hmm. These were all The Mother's Day thing. And the Mother's, yes. Right. So we did research and so it came together that way. And Irina at 65, again, then I'm playing someone who's my own age. I wish I were as radical as she is, but she's just unafraid and has gone on. And we thought that was really important too, because it's still really not okay to have had an abortion. You can only say you've had an abortion if you also express your regret. ongoing regret or remorse. And to say that I had this incredible life Right. Not that I went on and was a mommy, but that I had this incredible life and I did all these things and now I'm in this position. I feel like that's still a very radical thing to say, sadly, mm -hmm. that that's still a radical yeah. thing to say. Well, it was interesting because you were contrasting 1962 Soviet Union with 1962 United yeah. States, yeah. where it's illegal to worship the Virgin Mary, but it's legal to get an abortion. That's right. We put in that line about where Mary says to Irina, after she gives her list of places to go, resources, including places that give abortions, we just felt that we knew that, that we had to honor how advanced the Soviet Union was in this way mm -hmm. when the United States wasn't, you right. know, that it wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. to just put down communism as repressing religion and not acknowledge that Some they in in this other in right. this other area they were far more enlightened and advanced so that's why we put that line in and to me that line was sort of like well we have to put that in politically it didn't have a function for me really i think until we got near opening the show and that by that point because i've gotten more and more into being married i really felt i was saying it because i want irina to have an abortion that's my subtext mm. at that moment hello mm. you have this option don't yeah. you know remember that you know i'm calling her attention to it because this is my favorite 
worshiper mm -hmm. and I don't want her to be burdened with a child. I want right. her to have her life. I don't want her to have a child when she's 15 and have to right. deal with that. Right. But you also don't say that. You just say over and over, you want her to make the choice yeah. that's best for her and that you support her yeah. no matter what she does. And I can't imagine hearing that from a deity. It's bringing tears to my eyes yeah. just saying it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> it's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. To I have to say, yeah. playing Mary... Playing this loving, I mean, believe me, I only was willing to do Mary because I was so bad at arena, you know? It wasn't like I, it wasn't like I lusted for either of these parts, you know? You know, really, I was not drawn to either of these parts, you know? But to play, in fact, a goddess of compassion, which she is in the first scene and the second scene, you know, but truly in the first scene, she really is towards Arena. It's a wonderful thing to do, mm -hmm. to be expressing that as a powerful, nurturing figure, to be expressing that towards another human being and in distress. Mm -hmm. It's great, it's mm -hmm. great. And to feel that I'm saying, this is Mary, this is really who Mary is, you mm -hmm. know? I love it. So the Pussy Rioters were actually praying to Mary That's in their right. song because you were doing this great yes. rap actually translating the lyrics for That's us, right. which I didn't, they didn't have on the YouTube, they should have subtitles, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't, there is now on YouTube, you can find subtitles. Oh, and I, I found three different versions, and then I sort of put them together to I the, what I thought was the most important things, because it's translation, so there's variation. Right. I was very drawn to finding out more about them when I discovered that their song is called Punk Prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, Virgin Mary, Mother of God, put Putin away. I mean, it's a prayer. Terry and I really feel that they're behaving appropriately. They are having a sane response to this insane situation that's happening everywhere mm -hmm. they're there they're praying in their way mm -hmm. and it's just wonderful I mean it's very powerful what they've done I hope that we all keep remembering that they're in prison and that we want to keep this international attention for that right. to just remember that there are artists who all they did was sing a song in church. Right. It wasn't, nothing was going on there except the usual. They did not disrupt a big ceremony. They just came in and did this thing and they are in prison, you know, so For it's... For a really long time. And yes. they, I, I mean, yes. I don't know like exactly how long, right. but I think it's been more than a year, even years that they're in prison. I know that two of them are still in prison and right now one of them was recently released but there's actually since it's not really a band and they're actually against commercialization the the membership of the band is really fluid there's between 10 and 20 members at any time and so there's this big thing about who is pussy riot yeah. it's interesting when you are talking about politics in a performance, you know, playing characters who are involved in political things and you start to think about your own life and what are you doing. I do feel none of us, including Code Pink, but I'm very thankful for what they do do, we aren't acting appropriately in terms of how drastic the situation is. Right. In terms of global warming, right. you know, and other issues. That's So to me, to reflect on what Pussy Riot has done, which was, they really were very outrageous, far more outrageous than I've ever imagined being, that they were acting appropriately to the circumstances. And I was really thinking about it yesterday. 
what is appropriate for me to do? I care about these issues. I, and of course, I did run for mayor. You did, yeah, and that was that was appropriate. Yes, <laughs> but now it's over. Right. What is now appropriate for me to do? How can I? For me, the biggest crisis, which we don't really mention in the play, is the climate crisis. Because I just read about how much, how badly planes affect global warming. Oh, I know. It's your carbon footprint every time you take a flight is hugely impacted. Yeah, and I just thought, oh, maybe people have to stop flying. Yeah, that (laughs) with the TSA and all the stuff that you have to go through to fly anyway, and like how the government is now treating you like as if you're a suspect when you just sign up to take a flight anyway. I mean, why fly? Oh, well... Because we love to go far away, and we <laughs> yeah, and we have true. gone far away, and therefore the people we love are scattered <laughs> all over. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a it's hard true. thing to give up. No, I and know. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's exciting to think about Pussy Riot yeah, and no, what they're true. doing, and because we're performing this, I do think about it. So let's talk a little bit about what Putin has done. I mean, you guys talk about it a little bit in the play, but he's he's just been extending terms so that he can stay in power, and he puts anyone who disagrees with him in prison. Yes, I mean, it's pretty astonishing. Again, I didn't start out with any particular feeling about Putin. I mean, I didn't like Putin. And I still feel that he's an exemplar of what's happening everywhere as power becomes more imperial and consolidated, yes. and especially in this scene we're addressing the combining of church and state, Mm -hmm. which really is happening everywhere. But Putin... In God we trust. Yes. (laughs) Putin was the head of the KGB, and then he was elected president. And then after he'd served his two terms, he became prime minister. Then while he was prime minister, he changed the law, saying that somebody could only be president twice. He changed the law as prime minister, and then he ran for president again for a third term, and now he is president. I mean, at the time we set the play, he's just, he's still prime minister, but now he's president again. So it's, it's just completely outrageous. And he's very closely allied with Kirill, the first patriarch of Moscow and all Russia, is his official title. And, and he's the leader of the church. That's right. He's the leader of the Eastern Orthodox Church, just like the Pope. You know, it's the same thing, the patriarch and the Pope. And patriarchy? Yes, yeah, yes, right. I know. It's it's right out there. You don't need subtext. Right. <laughs> but um, he has also had Kirill the First with Putin. They've had some of the former czars made into saints, and there's huge statues of these czars outside the church. Huge, huge. I've read articles now because I've been reading about it. That a lot of people think Putin really is hoping to be made a saint. <laughs> saint oh, Putin. Ew, yeah. Gross. <laughs> And then you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's creepy. It's creepy what you can do, especially when you, you know, control people's hearts and then you control the money and then you control the power governance. You know, it's it's really amazing. So let's move on to the goddess deconstruction that you did with the thesaurus thing, because oh. that's back with, uh, you know, all the goddess stuff. I imagine that taking just about anything, you know, you can say a lot. Yeah, that's Theresa Thesaurus. That's an improvisation. Mm -hmm. This is Carolyn. I do this as a solo improv, and I get a cliche from the audience, and then I deconstruct this cliche down to the syllable, down to the very letter. The word the becomes T circled, T 
and he, for example. Tee hee. So that's a standard one. But I also find new ones every time. Because it's an improvisation, I can say stuff that really makes sense and stuff that doesn't make sense. But basically, the idea is that everything is turned around to a positive message about the goddess loving us and mm -hmm. us being all one. And, and our and your and yes. you. And it's the time to do it now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you what never were we talking know. about not cutting off your nose to spite your face? Yeah, right, right. And you're like, well, actually, this is a very positive message. Yeah. And you're like, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was that the... Uh, that was one of them, yeah. Uh -huh. And, you know, several people made suggestions, and so I had the audience vote. And then I felt bad because I thought, well, maybe the people made suggestions that didn't get picked felt bad but the thing is lots of times people don't believe me they think that I have set it up right. ahead of time so I love doing that because I feel like it's one more proof that I'm just making right. it and it's all improvisation yeah. and you know it's just such a funny thing because sometimes what I say doesn't make any sense at all I mean Terry's seen it many times and she finally one time said wait a minute <laughs> this doesn't even make sense but you could just really if you just keep going with yeah. Yeah. Good humor. Right. <laughs> or like, it's not about it making sense. Just feel it. No, yeah. a lot of times it's totally brilliant. It's just very <laughs> wonderful. It's it's great. It's fun. I love I love doing her, and I, I for me it's very easy to do. It's just I just open myself up to the letters, and there they are. And so for this holiday season, you talk about Christmas, and you talk about Hanukkah. You talk about the end of the Mayan calendar. Mm -hmm. That was I learned a lot that I did not know. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have to change that for this weekend. We were just working on that because Friday... Yeah, because it ends, and then you don't have any more Mayan calendar. You're like, oh, we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we have a brilliant lyricist, so I'm going to call him tonight. He's already written a different third verse and go over with him. Some ways right. we can change it a little. Yeah, we definitely have to update that Yeah, for, uh, after the end of the world. Yeah. Well, right, but the, thing, the whole thing is that the pick tune that actually there's a part of the Mayan calendar that ends in 4,772. Yes, that's right, the first pick tune. And in fact, the third verse that he wrote is all about we're on the first day of the next Ba'ak tune. Which is <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So actually, I think it might be okay. Yeah. You can yeah. make plans for the 22nd. Until the 4,772. Yeah. Right. Then you're totally host. Yeah. yeah. Boy, woo. Yeah. And, and like you were saying about the environment, you know, we also, we thought about putting a little bit in there about, oh. because one of the things we do feel is that this kind of interest, this kind of grabbing on to a mock spiritual freak out is a way of avoiding what's really going on. There really is a reason to worry about the end of the world. Species are dying out. Things are really happening. And these kind of distractions, I mean, Y2K was like that too, these apocalyptic distractions, they not only distract us, but they really are dangerous. And the fundamentalist Christians, of course, have Armageddon very dangerous because it just distracts you. It, it makes it okay in a well, way. That and it also brings, I mean, George Bush even used the rapture as a way to say that it was okay to go to war in the Middle East. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because and that's really creepy, right? Yeah. And so if that's part of it, the president of the United States' mindset that religiously yeah. we're going to have a war that's the end times, yeah. I vote no on that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. Well, it does really, you know, I read this book that was interviews with people. Is it Alamogordo where they make the nuclear bombs? I think it is. This woman went and did her dissertation there. How does it affect a town 
that most of the people there are working to build nuclear mm. weapons, oh. you know? It was very interesting. Most of them were fundamentalist Christians mm. who believed in the rapture. Oh, really? So they oh, welcomed that possibility. Wow. They welcomed the possibility of nuclear war because they were certain that they would be lifted up and taken to heaven when it happened. Because they would so, be at ground zero and be completely reduced to dust. Well, that's the reality of it. But to, for them, right. that's, that wasn't a worry. That was sort of their magical thinking. Yeah, exactly. So it was just, it was very interesting how Christian, yeah. this Christian extreme end of the world apocalyptic vision feeds into the whole a welcoming of nuclear war. Right. It's yeah, that's amazing. Not good for the planet, people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very dangerous. I mean, the end game of Christianity is of fundamentalist Christianity is terrifying. Right. But we also try to stay on the positive yes. side. No, of you do. Things. And it's yes. very festive. The whole yeah. show is very festive. And the last scene, you know, Red Hanky Grannies, that's the one of the two octogenarians who are planning to attend a dem escape from their nursing home and att to attend a demonstration, code pink demonstration. And what we're trying to get to in there is that peace is not peace is not the passive not war. You know, it's not like there's war and that's this active thing and peace is this passive thing. Peace is this active creative process and war is this active destructive process. Mm -hmm. So the importance of action to keep alive and to act for peace, that's where we're trying to go to. Like Terry said, stay on the positive side. And mm -hmm. we have been involved in a lot of protests in our lives, but I also did meet some women from the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom years ago, and I was so inspired by them. One night I just sat here on the computer and looked up every protest I could find. And at the end we say a lot of protest slogans that cover the last 50 It's years. true, they do this great musical montage of protest slogans. It's so fun. Yeah, and yeah. really festive, because isn't it in the tune of something Christmassy? There's little, um, little lines from a lot of different songs. It starts with, we shall overcome. Mm -hmm. We shall overcome. Then all we are saying is give peace a chance. And then ends up with, this land is your land. The whole yeah. verse, of which a lot of people feel should be the national anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? there's, a, there's been a movement to try to oh. get this land is your oh, land turned wow. into the national anthem. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about your characters in that little skit. So there's the two of you, Carolyn. You play this lady who's smoking a doobie yeah. in the, yeah. the window, and you got your little walker, and you're like, do do do. You yeah. kind of get in there, like, because yeah. you just got in there like two days ago. Right. Right. And then you've been there, Terry. Your character has been there for a long time. You're yeah. blind, but yeah. you're like, that's very harsh. I'm not blind. I'm just visually impaired. But you totally are rocking the stick. Yeah. And so you have the Code Pink protest pamphlet, but you can't read it. And you're trying to convince her to bust out with you. And yeah. you're like, why are you even here? I have been stuck there for a year, over a year, and I am blind. And so for me... This is the transformative moment. My comrade, Rosa, who I've walked so many 
picket lines with has come to the same place. Now we can leave and go to a demonstration together. So this is so exciting to me, except of course, Rosa has a totally different plan. She's, <laughs> she's come there to, to wash, watch the grass grow. Right, that's right. She's tired and she misses Emma so much, but her solution is that she's going to come into the rest home too and they're going to sit around and look at their old press clippings of past demonstrations and smoke a joint and hang out. And <laughs> that's all she really wants to do. She doesn't feel so good anymore and she's tired. She probably she kept doing things while Emma's been in there and she just didn't like it. So mm-hmm. she has a completely different vision. And to me, you know, as a writer, you know, every character is part of you. And I feel like that Rosa represents this part of me that I fight with all the time and don't always win, that just wants to stay home and watch a movie. Not that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And I do do that. I'm just saying that I feel that those two characters are within me. The person who wants to, who stays with it and wants to change things. And the person who really just would just as soon lie on the couch and really that's it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's difficult because I think any activist, you're kind of going back and forth between burnout and working too hard and caring too much. But then you also really have to step back and take care of yourself and make time for movies and cuddles and be warm. I always am coming up against that myself where I'm like, I could spend hours and hours on the computer, social networking and posting and talking about articles. But then the thing is, is like, where am I feeling good about the world too? Like that's really important for an animal being such as a human. One thing I like about electoral politics and also activism in terms of demonstrations, it's, it's about people meeting face to face, which I find is such fertile soil for movement in my own life. In other words, you encounter somebody, you go to a demonstration and you encounter somebody. In fact, I ran for mayor because I have one friend who sends out way too many, she's been blocked by a lot of people, you know. She sends way too many many announcements. She's, you know, she's a very, very strong activist. And finally I said, oh, what the hell? I'm going to go to this one, which was on Van Ness. It was a demonstration against the hospital taking over that part of Van Ness and it had bought all the buildings on, and evicting, is someday going to build something so it's evicted the people in the buildings now, you know? There was like 20 people at this demonstration. It was very small. Of course, I was surprised. But there was just a coffee shop right there. We went in, we're talking, and I said, okay, who's going to run for mayor this time? (laughs) You know, to the other progressives. Awesome. And they said, said, oh, no, there's no point in a progressive running. I said, what about you? You know, you you were president of the Harvey Milk Club. No, no, there's no... And they all said... I said, well, I'm going to run. If nobody's going to run, then I'm going to run. Awesome. <laughs> and when I did, eventually, John Avalos ran, who's, he's a very strong progressive, but I was in the campaign before him. Mm-hmm. And so if I had not gone to that demonstration, that conversation would not have happened. So to me, these things of being in the same place, face-to-face, gathering, people gathering physically together, which is demanded by activism and politics, that to me is the most exciting. And then, you know, there's also the fact of getting older. So like you say, you have to take more care of yourself as you Mm -hmm. get older. But there's that even exacerbates the thing because society doesn't acknowledge your effort lots of times. They just think of you as 
someone who should stay home. Troublemaker! Yeah, and you yourself, all those things are internalized, and you want to, you know, it's it's another step you have Mm -hmm. to take. When I met the women years ago from the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and I think a lot of us feel this way when we meet activists who've worked very hard for a very long time, it's just really inspiring that they don't, they just keep going, and they let themselves be not too busy and not too tired. In fact, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, when I read about them, their first two presidents, they've been around a long time, their first two presidents, each were the president for 45 years. Oh my God. And they were not spring chickens when they started. They went as far as they could. On the other hand, in society as it is today, most people can't stop working completely, but a lot of us had to work more, and you get to the age where you can retire, and then you do have conceivably some more time. Mm-hmm. And so there is that opportunity. In our generation, there's a lot of us. So we have the ability to make a powerful stand, and it's time for our generation to do that. It's not, I find more and more when we go to things, people say, oh, I'm just going to leave it to the next generation. And that's just, it's infuriating because you're like, that is not right. Look at what all the younger people have to deal with, how hard their lives are. And it's our opportunity to step up. Well, that, and it's so nice to have your grandparents people my grandparents age supporting you and loving you just with your pink hair and the way you are and for me the vision of these two grannies and I can't remember the line from the play but it was something like no they need the grannies there with the signs you know what I mean they need us there we have to go pink needs our help we represent their radical heritage exactly yeah I love it and I love thinking of like this we're not reinventing the wheel by protesting people have done this before getting the right to vote getting women to have jobs all of this stuff we're not doing it again and again from the beginning it's totally in the interest of the power structure to keep us separated from generationally you know it's totally in their interest to write out activism from the history books. It's totally in their interest to never let you know about the great labor movements or the great feminist movements. There's many reasons why that is constantly undermined, and the only way to overcome that is to keep talking to each other. Right. Right. And the Pat, when I talk about Pat Oh, goody, I'm glad we're talking about Pat. That's That's in terms of the gay rights movement. That's also, wow, how quickly we forget. I do a monologue telling the story of the death of my friend Pat Bond, who was a solo performer telling stories about lesbian life in San Francisco and also in the army in the 50s and 60s. She toured in the 70s and 80s, you know, telling these stories. Right, and it was not super acceptable to be a lesbian in the military. No, there was I mean, a, it's not really now, but it's even well, less back then. Like, they were well, doing, like, a witch no, hunt. See, what happened was, in fact, if you really saw all everything she says about it in in Word is Out, let alone she did a whole show just on the witch hunts. They knew, the army knew that these women were lesbians because in another part of this documentary, she talks about how these women came in total male drag, completely dressed as men with male haircuts and all that. And then, you know, they were asked if they were homosexual. Oh, no, and they were so... In other words, during the war, during World War II, they didn't care. They wanted help, and they welcomed these women who were clearly lesbians. And then, after the war, they wanted to get rid of them all, and it was pretty terrible. And mm-hmm. people, 
people committed suicide oh. because of it. It was very, yeah, I heard a show about that. It's called Murder in the Women's Army Corps because, in fact, there were people she knew that killed themselves. Well, and not only that, but now there's this huge, well, it's not a new problem in the military, but sexual violence. So many women in the military are getting raped, yeah. and there's so little protection and so little, they're not prosecuting the perpetrators. And also, you know, there's a lot of discussion over even should abortion be paid for in the military's insurance? And right now it isn't. Oh and gosh. a lot of these women are, are making $25,000 a year or $15,000 a year. And it's really hard for them to f afford an abortion. Even if you've been raped, your abortion isn't covered. And these are the people who are risking their lives for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the government is exploiting their work. Well, they are risking their lives. I wouldn't say it's for us. They're risking their lives for a capitalist delusion of controlling the world. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we kind of think like, oh, it's our government and we like it and I don't know. But, well, you know, that's the rhetoric that we say. We always say the troops, we're supporting our troops, well, they're ours. Yeah, well, that is not the rhetoric, guys. That's <laughs> not your rhetoric. Yeah, Good right. for you. So anyhow, I, I feel really great. I have to say, you know, one of the reasons that I was close with Pat was because I had appreciate. she was the generation before me, and I had appreciation and respect for what she had gone through and her contribution in terms of touring and, and performing and telling these stories, you know, very first person. And, you know, people would come up after the performance, and many people told Pat, that they were gay, it was the first time that they had said it. Wow. Yeah, including one of my lovers who was, who knew she was, started going to lesbian bars when she was 13, started climbing out the window, right. and going to lesbian bars when she was 13, so Nora. Yeah. So her lesbian identity was always yeah. absolutely, you know, ironclad from the beginning. But the first time she ever said, I'm a lesbian, was when she was 19 and she saw Pat perform and she went backstage and she said to Pat, I'm a lesbian. So <laughs> you think, so, you know, some Pat, just by being out there on stage, made it permissible for people. It's a big deal for people to say those words for the first time, you know, no matter how clear their identity is to themselves. And so I had a tremendous respect for her. And that know? was back during the 70s when it wasn't as open. No, yeah, absolutely. It was a very different thing. So I'm very happy to bring her back to life yeah. and remind people of a pioneer, you know, right. a, a lesbian pioneer and the contribution she made. And it, it turns out the story of her death as it happened, it was just a very magical, beautiful, loving thing. So it's a great story. I mean, I don't exaggerate or make up anything. And it was on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So it fits into the exactly. holiday show. Perfectly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's sort of amazing. You know, well, what are we going to do? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I've written this before. I had written an article, you know, long ago about it, mm -hmm. you know, and I, oh. And it's Christmas Eve, so... Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect, yeah. yeah. It's her Christmas Eve party. Most of our listeners are in San Francisco, mm -hmm. but we actually have listeners online all over 
the world in 150 different countries. We have listeners in every country in the Middle East, and people are listening in tiny little countries in Africa like Les Lotho. Hey, Les Lotho. Lots of people listen to Alaska, too. Hey, Alaska. But in all of these communities, it's not like San Francisco. It's not easy to find people who are protesting the things that you're protesting. It's hard to find the feminists in Les Lotho and Azerbaijan. I'm imagining that it's hard to think about ageism in a lot of these countries or sexism or homophobia or transphobia or any of those things. So if you were listening to this program in any of those countries and you wanted to start meeting people or creating communities or art or self-expression, what sort of advice as artists that have been making expressive statements, artistic statements, over the last, what was it, a combined 108 years of theater experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Uh, really? uh, it, well, it says there's something in the, uh, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the program it that says that. Sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, that's true because we've been, we've been together for 40 years and we were both in theater quite a long time before right, that. Right. Yeah. So what advice would you have for someone who's in this less than cuddly San Francisco well, environment? I'm, for me... Meeting once a week about something is important. I feel that if there are people, any number of group, even if it's one person, other person, to get together once a week and talk about what you're going to do or what you have done or whatever, that would be a beginning Mm -hmm. for me. I mean, like when when I'm writing a play and I have trouble, I start meeting once a week, I grab, if I don't have a writing group, I just grab somebody, a friend, and say, I've got to meet once a week and talk with you about this. That's sort so of what get I get your feel. knitting. We're going to talk about yeah. this script. Sort of what I feel that I need to move forward when things are hard mm-hmm. is to meet with at least one like-minded soul once mm-hmm. a week. Where you can be yourself with that person. Yeah, and you could say, what are we going to do? Or I'm helping you with your project. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do next week about this? Right. Carolyn? Yeah, I think that we have a writer's group right now, and it was crucial for developing this, this show. I just want to speak a little bit to the individual. First of all, I think big lessons for me have been that the deeper you can go about yourself, The more you think nobody else has gone through this, the more wrong you are. That we have as women, as people, as women, we have these shared experiences, though, as you say, can be very diverse culturally. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I really like to say, and it doesn't have to be young person, but I'm talking to the artists who are beginning their process, that if somebody had told me this, I would have so appreciated it. And that is that the creative part of yourself and the critical part of yourself are not necessarily linked. (laughs) They're not friends sometimes. They, They are not necessarily friends. And that if you feel disappointed in your own work, that's okay because you're starting that means that you have a well-developed critical sense a good sense of taste a good sense of what's important and just because your own work can't live up to that at the beginning which could be 30 years who knows that doesn't don't give up your own work not being good enough when you start and even if you don't start till you're 50 i've known so many people who have given up so early Mm -hmm. because they just they can't believe that they can't do what they 
want to do and it's and that develops you can you do get better you do develop if you keep at it you do develop so I think that being able to tell the truth though I realize that people are sometimes in situations where they can't tell the truth but that's as yourself I think those are really vital things and there is definitely not enough work out there by women and in fact it's gotten worse in some areas. There are fewer women's roles in films and theater right now than there were a while ago, and it's it's really pathetic. And so they're just the women's stories still remain to be told. And anybody who tells you they've seen all this before, really, really not true. About not being good enough, I always feel that I have this vision, mm -hmm. and my work never reaches that vision but I accept that yeah because and you can't let it stop because you. no because the audience doesn't have that vision the audience doesn't see what's in my head they see what I've put out there so that level of dissatisfaction it doesn't I feel I totally accept that right really that I'm never going to get there and I believe in myself as an artist and a playwright but I, there's also other people like my you know my big role model is Ibsen I would love to be as courageous as Ibsen Heinrich Ibsen yeah yeah the doll's house yeah whoa yeah, yeah exactly totally. well that's where <laughs> it's a classic I'm, right yeah I would like I wish I was but I'm doing my but you're doing you, know, you so I'm well I'm doing me <laughs> that's all I can do I can't do Ibsen so you know it's wonderful to have those visions that are way out in front of you Mm -hmm. And then, what's well, a me? You know, there's so much pleasure in doing theater. It's right. it's why people do it for nothing, you know, mm -hmm. because it's just a wonderful thing. And we've had a tremendous collaboration with Joan, our director, and Vola, Ruben. We got a fabulous set. The costumer, Catherine. Oh Brand. my God, your outfits are fabulous! Oh, thank you, and Catherine. Stephanie Johnson. Stephanie Johnson, the lighting designer. And then Pam Higley, who was the production stage manager, who really was like the force organizing every, everything together. Right. It's really wonderful. And all these are women. Everybody's over 50, been doing things a long time, not necessarily making a really good living, but, but having a very high level of art. And so it's just thrilling. To, it was a great, great wonderful, joyful thing to do. Yeah, I think about that too, because as I'm editing my show, I'm always like, oh, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't la la la? And it's so funny because, of course, I have really high standards. I'm a professional radio announcer. But also, no one else is doing a sex-positive feminist radio show that's about social justice. Yeah. And so... No. No, really? Yeah, really? no, it's really not You're happening. Mm, yeah, no. And so, and because it's working, and I'm, because I'm getting into all these different countries, and I have listeners in Kazakhstan. Mm, Kazakhstanis, I love you. I don't know what you're doing with the sex-positive feminist, but go, go, go. But you know what I mean? Like, so at least I'm doing it, even when I don't yeah. think it's perfect, and even when I don't think that I'm always saying the smartest thing. And sometimes I sound like a total dork and I say wrong things. But as long as you're saying something and as long as you're doing your art and as long as you're doing it, it's so much better than not doing it. Yes. You know, some, my friend has this great saying, Read Me Halco says, something worth doing is worth doing half-assed than not doing at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I think that is a deeply feminist vision I think the patriarchal vision is get out of here if you aren't good enough. 
And yeah, it's not about being expressive even or if creative. It, even if it's about being expressive or creative, write... Leave I, it to the professionals. Write, or write, even writing groups were, I think, a lot of times earlier, you knock the other person down and mm-hmm. really, you know, mm-hmm. can you take it? Are you tough enough to hear all this stuff and still come back and mm-hmm. write? And I think it was really women and feminism that brought a more nurturing attitude. Mm -hmm. There was a really sort of punitive, you better be tough in order to survive. You know, I'm the director and I'm going to... Well, not just in writing and art, but also in business. You know, the collaboration approach, compassion, you know, encouragement, positivity, positive feedback. Yeah, so I think that's been a real basic contribution to the arts from, from feminism. You know, a more supportive way, a loving way of being with each other in terms of creating art. Terry Baum, Carolyn Myers, the Crackpot Crones. It's been so fun sitting around your kitchen table, having some tea, talking about some feminist issues. It's been really fun. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Monica. It's great to meet you. Oh, my pleasure. Subscriber to your show. Yeah, that's right. You can subscribe on iTunes, Uh and it's on the Sex Talk Radio Network. And so, yeah, thank you so much. That's great. Thank you for caring enough to come and hear us talk and ask us questions. Oh, I really wanted to talk about all of this stuff. I mean, going from Putin to the lesbian feminist pat protest to the code pink and the Pakistan and the drones and everything else, and then the booby and her butch with the lesbian earrings. So much to talk about. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. You can download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.